Welcome to... Hey, Great Shot. This is the Great Shot Podcast, a Crack Rackets and Tennis Channel Podcast Network production. My name is Alex Gruskin. On today's show, we want to begin our preview of the upcoming Sunshine Swing. Two 1,000-level events back-to-back on the WTA and ATP calendars in Indian Wells and Miami coming up. Of course, we'll see so many different storylines unfold and emerge over the course of the next month in the pro tennis world. That said, we know it's our job here at Crack Rackets to prepare all of you tennis fans for all of the action as such. I am thrilled to be joined on today's show by a writer you know from oh so many different platforms, whether it be Tennis Now, Tennis Majors, his work for various different individual tournaments as well. Of course, he's also the host of the Lucky Let Cord podcast. It's my dear friend Chris Otto joining me on the show once again today to talk about some of the most interesting storylines and players entering this 2023 Indian Wells. We discuss why this event will certainly impact the pecking order on tour moving forward. We talk about the players we think perhaps have the biggest opportunity over the course of not only the upcoming month, but over the next 10 days specifically in Indian Wells to make a definitive move up up or I suppose down the rankings in some instances. But again, whenever we're joined by Chris, you know it's going to be a fantastic conversation. Today is no exception. So with all that said, let's get to it. Here's my conversation with the one and only Chris Otto. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Joining us once again on the podcast to help us preview the upcoming Indian Wells 1000 level event is a returning champion here on our Crack Racket shows. One of my favorite writers in all of tennis, a man whose work has appeared on just about every platform. It's our dear friend, Chris Otto, joining us once again. Chris, how are you doing today? Morning, Alex. I'm alive, as I told you earlier, (laughs) and happy to be so. Yes, I am glad to hear that. And you are on the grounds at Indian Wells. Let's just start there. What do we get to expect from you over the next two weeks? Um, grinding it out for the tournament website, BMP Paribas, what is it, dot com. Mm-hmm. Yeah, lot, lots of mega content from there. I'll be try to stay active on Twitter when I get free time. I just want to start this podcast with a little story about this morning. I, I found a coffee machine in the condo we're staying at, but it was okay. unplugged. And I was thinking, maybe this is a newfangled coffee machine that doesn't need a plug. So I put the coffee, the water in and put the coffee in and found out that it, it does, in fact, need a plug, which I could not locate. So therefore, I'm without coffee that for the is... second day in a row until the afternoon. <laughs> that is just, I mean, look, you're drying out in the desert. That's how it works at Indian Wells. Uh, no <laughs> coffee for Chris. That is, again, I like that. A newfound coffee machine. Are there the machines that work without plugs? I have solar or something. I don't know. I was hopeful for a moment. 
<laughs> I love that. Solar. Well, you know, again, I appreciate you coming on the show as always. And I look forward to reading all of your work on Baron bnpprettybus.com and wherever it is your work appears over the course of the season because again truly one of my favorites and you know the reason I wanted to have you on the show today for this topic in particular and in case you didn't listen to the intro what Chris and I are doing here is discussing our most interesting players heading into Indian Wells you know I like these conversations with you in particular because I like to think you are an outside-the-box thinker. You know, you're not someone who's going to go always with the clear-cut, like, Alcaraz is always interesting, right? Medvedev is always interesting. And if those guys or gals uh, in that caliber of player appear on your list, it won't shock me. But as you look at this Indian Wells 30,000-foot view, I do wonder what your biggest storylines are going into the event. Uh, Yeah, I kind of gravitated when I saw the, the women's draw. Mm-hmm. I had a colleague that was saying that Iga's draw was really interesting and, you know, he found it exciting. And I looked at it and I said, yeah, I guess you could see it that way. But then I drifted down to the lower quarter and, I, and I, I've had my eyes and my mind on Arena Sabalenka, of course, since she won the Australian Open in January. And just it, it's an amazing story already what she's been able to do. But everything she's said and done since about wanting to tackle the number one ranking, wanting to take on the even bigger challenges that she's than she's already conquered, ma- makes me really interested in her. So seeing her as the second seed, kind of just kind of drilled down on that quarter a little bit. And then I saw a critique of it right away, the, the woman who beat her and also beat Iga last month. And you're thinking, this is going to be an amazing round of 16 if it happens. I got my eyes on both players. I'm dying to see Sabalenka live with this newfound confidence you know, with this uh, probably elevated self-belief that she's never had before. Um, you know she can play on, on this surface. You know she can succeed here. Yeah, she hasn't done so really in the past, but this is a different player we're talking about. And then I'm dying to see Krachikova, who really last year became a little bit of an afterthought with the elbow injury, just wasn't able to produce the same kind of tennis that we saw from her during her 2021 breakout season. But the talent's still there. She had all that double success last year. She managed to stay in the game pick up her level. And now it appears that she's back and, and maybe headed for bigger things. So that little section there, those two headed to face one another in the round of 16, really exciting to me. Definitely want to watch both players. And as you know, when you get to one of these tournaments, Alex, you want to watch so many players mm-hmm. for me thinking about in, in week one, for me thinking about seated players and big names is almost like, I'm not even ready to do that yet. There are so many players who like, I haven't seen yet players and qualifiers who I'm just curious to figure out what kind of tennis they play, what their games are like, so I can like actually write about them properly. So I don't always look ahead to the big stories. But yeah, Iga, Iga is, of course, I've looked at Bianca Andrescu, who could potentially face Iga in the, in the third round here at Indian Wells a lot and been hopeful about her upcoming matchups, and it hasn't always panned out. Maybe the former BNP Paribas Open champion has a little something to say about that and will make it interesting this year, and she will meet Iga in the third round. And if that happens could be very exciting too but um, my first question i guess the player i'm most interested to say is sabalenka but then the b player is kritikova so i'm looking at them as like one moving entity as they kind of head on a collision course well that is fascinating and i want to get to those two players specifically because i had them both on my list of names i wanted to explore today or see which direction we were going i have an expanded list i assume you do as well and between the two of us i assume we're going to get to at least six of the names we've got but 
You know, it's so fascinating to hear you mention those two names, for, or three names first in particular, Sviantek, Sabalenka, and Krejcikova. And I had this conversation with our friend David Kane recently on the show as well. I think after five years of uncertainty, there is sort of a top two tiers and, dare I say, a clear-cut top eight finally sort of forming on the WTA Tour. And I think in tier one, obviously, Iga Sviantek sits there. I think Sabalenka was on the precipice of tier one for so long. She'd been a top 10 player for three and a half years consecutively for her to finally capture that first slam. I think all of us were ready to put her in tier one already, and now she has certainly propelled herself there. And then that third name, Krejcikova. I think she is the one wavering right now between tiers one and two, where it's like, if she's healthy, man, if you watch 2021, you saw her beat Sviantek, not just in the Middle East this past month, but obviously in Osterva to end last season as well. You know, you've got her in between tiers, Pagula kind of in between tiers. After that, I think there is a pretty clear cut, you know, Goff is going to be in the mix. Benchich is playing really well right now. Players like Samsonova, Rabakina with their power. Is Dare I ask, after five years of uncertainty, again, 30,000-foot view here, do you feel like a clear-cut top eight is forming in the women's game? Yeah, hard to pin it down to that number eight, but yeah, sure. But yeah, but but totally, I think you're onto something there that I hadn't really thought of. That you know, they're kind of the, they're kind of like uh, stepping away from the pack a little bit and creating. I guess the word is consistency. You know, I yes. think um, some players will downplay it and say, "What is consistency? It doesn't it doesn't matter to me. I don't even know what you're talking about when you hear about it in press, right?" Um, but but yeah, I think that's what you're what, what we're talking about. And JPEG is the leader of that that consistency group, and she's in she's in that group all, also. Of course, angling for that bigger breakthrough. We saw her do some great things in Guadalajara, winning a one thousand title last year. And you know, it's out there for her. You know, and I always say the same thing about players that are consistent and that it can achieve fairly consistent results. Nobody's going to do it week in, week out. There's too much going on in personal lives with injuries, with the way players feel in different conditions. But the better off you are on all surfaces and able to be consistent, move your weight around to 16s and quarterfinals of draws, then windows of opportunity open for A, either you can get hot, make another couple wins like Krachikova did. I mean, look at her results in Dubai. She beat Egan in the final. She beat JPEG in the semis, 6-love in the third. She beat Sabalenka, 6-1 in the third. Yeah. She beat, and she beat Kvitova and Kazakina to get to those matches. So she got on a roll. She made it into the quarters once again and then was able to turn it up a notch. And that's what you like to see from these top 10 players, top eight players that you're talking about. They're going to give themselves chances to win. And Coco Goss in this group, too. You know, you could be disappointed at the way she matches up with Iga. And certainly there's lots of... And hence the opportunities come. Hence the ranking stays high. You don't fall out of being a seed. You're able to create this environment of, of like expectations of winning some matches here instead of these first round blowouts that, that you know, that's probably the thing that frustrates the fans of these talented players the most, right? Mm-hmm. No, really well said. And to your point, it feels like for five years, we've had 35 top 20 players in the world. And that's a testament to the depth. Again, there are a lot of really good, yeah. still young, up-and-coming players in the women's game. But it feels like, okay, Sviantek's the number one player in the world. 
Sabalenka's clearly top five. I would say clearly top three. I think Pagula, to your point, she hasn't lost before a quarterfinal since the City Open in August. Um, She's clearly a top five caliber player. Not number one, but clearly top five. When Jabir was healthy, you make back-to-back slam finals. You are absolutely in that sort of conversation as well. There's just some separation happening at the top of the women's game, which makes sense, by the way, because most of these players are turning... 21, 22, 24, 25 years old. Like, this is when it happens. And I think it's interesting on the women's side, we're at the back end of the generational shift. And now the new names are kind of ready to take center stage. Let's go to the uh, the men's side quickly, 30,000 foot view. And then we're going to get to some specific names here. This What makes this Indian Wells so interesting? Well, a couple of things. A, and I talked about this with again with David Kane extensively on the Mini Break podcast today, um, the idea that this is a moment in American men's tennis. You have 11 in the top 55. You know, Taylor Fritz is the first defending champion entering Indian Wells since Andre Agassi. Uh, obviously, to have back-to-back 1,000-level mm-hmm. events on home soil, all these Americans are going to get bites at the apple. I think this is a moment where perhaps, again, American men's tennis can break through the mainstream sporting conscious. But I also think the biggest, you know, one of the biggest storylines that we haven't explored much yet that I would really like to hear with you, there are no big three in this Indian Wells main draw, Chris. No Rafa, no Novak, no Federer. And we're coming into this event with Daniil Medvedev having won his last three events, 14 matches in a row. Obviously, he seems to have steadied the ship. Tsitsipas made the final in Australia. Alcaraz is the number one overall seed. Yannick Sinner looked like the fourth best player in the world those first two weeks of February. Like, this is a pecking order Indian Wells, in my mind. I'm curious if you see it the same way on the men's side. Yeah. It's nice. It's well, I mean, there are downsides to not having the big three. It's, you know, the star power is gone. The, those those anchors and the draws on either side of the draw for your pre-tournament storylines are shattered. And you have to come up with some creativity to, to really and, and some some nuance to, to understand what the storylines are. But you hit it right there where this is an opportunity yet again. And look, there's going to be nothing but opportunities over the next five years. This is like a pre-opportunity to the ultimate opportunity, which is the fact that the big three are not going to be around very much longer, even Novak. I mean, maybe, I don't know, the guy's miraculous. So maybe he'll, maybe he'll carry that big three flag on his own, but I'm not sure how many more, how longer we'll see Rafa play. So this is what it's going to look like in the future. So these guys are really trying to send messages. These guys are like, you know, out there in these dog fights, like looking to keep their head above water, looking to prove themselves, looking to create an aura, right? And Carlos Alcaraz has created that aura already, but now it's ripe to be chipped away. He comes in a little bit hobbled. Is he even going to play? I don't know if anybody's really sure if he's in the draw for sure. And I think he desperately probably wants to play this event, but I don't know how that hamstring is and and how he's feeling. And so then it makes you look around to the other players in this draw. I mean, you mentioned Fritz so exciting that he's defending. I have the utmost faith in him to, it's not gonna be easy to stay in the top five, which is a remarkable achievement in and of itself, but I have the utmost faith that he wants more and will aim for more and that will do the things he has to do to stay in the top five and to compete at this tournament. I I expect him to put up a reasonable defense. I don't know if he has a win in him, but I feel like I can trust Taylor Fritz. How about you? Well, that's actually, 
See, this is why I love having you on because I love that framework of it. Like, that's really well said. The idea of trusting Taylor Fritz's game. I think there is a delta between his floor and his ceiling as a player, match in, match out. But it's not because the floor is low. It's because the ceiling is extraordinarily high. And to your point, I know what Taylor Fritz is going to do well. He's going to serve well. He's going to blitz some ground strokes by you. He's going to put the return in freaking play. And, like, I also know he's not going to volley well. Like, that's worth disclaiming. But, like, I, I think, to your point, you're right. There's a, lot, there's a lot of reliability as it relates to Taylor Fritz. But, look, he could face Ben Shelton in round number one. And I had yeah. this – again, I apologize for rehashing this for my listeners because David Kane and I did an American Men's specific pod. But, like – we talked about this because this is, again, most interesting players we're going to get to. These are the most interesting storylines. You are a writer for Indian Wells. Let me ask you this. If Ben Shelton beats Taylor Fritz, isn't that the storyline of the opening weekend? And doesn't that become the storyline in men's tennis? Because, boy, everyone is really ready to put the crown on Ben Shelton's head. <laughs> and and having – I like to think I created the Ben Shelton bandwagon here, having covered him not just during his Florida time, but during his time obviously in the juniors as well as he was preparing for Florida, the Kalamazoo final. I was there for it, all these different things. He's been kind enough to come on the show many a times. Um, I don't know why I, ha- I felt the need to disclaim all of those things for you, Chris. I apologize. But all that is to say like – Everybody I, knows. Everybody knows. Yeah. Well, the reason I say all those things is to say like I – should be accused of anointing Ben Shelton the next biggest thing as much as anyone. But I'm just saying, like, if he beats Fritz with his personality, his charisma, like his the weapons he has as well that are just so evident, like any casual observer of tennis will see his serve and can say that is really fucking good. Like, I just feel like doesn't that become the biggest storyline? That's my thing. And if Ben's the guy, as the kids are alluding to nowadays, if he's him, Chris, he wins that match. Like Ben goes out and beats Taylor. Yeah, I think I think you're right. I don't know what it is about Ben. Obviously, it's the tennis, but there's some kind of charm. Just watching him practice on the stadium last night with Holger Runa, and you're like, I don't know. He's just he's got this easy way about him. He's got this inner confidence that kind of exudes it's not like it doesn't put you off at all he's a great kid great smile and, and great he's got that look in his eyes that he's just hungry and happy to be here plays with joy he plays with joy and not to mention all the tools he has that are going to make life a lot easier for him on the tour that serve is incredible he's, he's got a lot of skills and and yeah i mean that's you're hitting on the beauty of what's going on here with american men's tennis the 11 guys in the top 55 that you alluded to and Taylor Fritz is the top dog right now, and I love him there, and he belongs there, and he's setting the example, and he's there trying to fight off these other players, and they're close to him. Tommy Paul just moves that epic in Acapulco. You just have to laugh when you even – if you saw that match, you're still probably laughing about how ridiculous it was. The, the point is that it's really a can't-miss moment for American men's tennis with the depth that they have, with the amount of different storylines and players that are coming through, that are growing, that are developing – it's a can't lose moment. It, Fritz or Shelton in the third round, take your pick. Either way, it's a great story. Mm-hmm. I, we, the number I have with is I want to see two Americans in the quarterfinals. And I just like, I want to see an American man involved in championship weekend. It doesn't have to be in the final, but this is a moment. And so let's get an American to the semifinal. I agree with you. 
perfectly said. I do think this is a fascinating event. I think those are probably the most interesting 30,000-foot storylines heading into it. But now let's get into the players. And you alluded to some of them earlier, but let's just get right to the top of your list, Chris. If there is one player you're most interested in seeing play in person following throughout the course of this event, men's or women's side, who is it and why? Holger Runa, I think, is the guy I'm really excited about. Okay, I I like it. I just can't shake that that feeling of there's intangibles that you look for in players. And I feel like Holger's desire to improve, his desire to compete is so admirable. I his game is is really starting to look to me like like kind of mind-blowing. Like he just can get up in players' grill with his game and just attack relentlessly. He's also got this diversity. He's he's a good mover. There's really no box that he doesn't tick. And I just feel like obviously it's happening so fast for him, this rise from maybe just a smidgen outside of the top 100 last year to number eight as he enters this tournament. But I am so excited for what his short-term future holds, not even the long-term. And I'm starting to wonder and ask myself this question, like who has a better long-term future Olga Runa or Carlos Alcaraz. And I'm wondering, is that a crazy question that I'm asking myself? And I'm, and I'm starting to think maybe it's not. Maybe maybe there are two team phenoms that are destined to be seriously great in men's tennis. And I feel like you don't know. That's why I'm so excited to see Holger in person this week and to watch him practice and to watch him play some matches. I just want to get to know what he's doing better because it blows my mind when I watch him play. Even his match against Dimonor in Acapulco, which he cramped. And of course, you know, he's a young guy. These things happened. It's happened to pretty much everybody in Acapulco. Yeah, he lost that match. But what he did to Dimonor in that first set, that's the that's the tennis I remember. And that's the tennis I think that he's capable of playing consistently as he matures. And I'm just so excited to see him close up in person. I, mean, I remember speaking to him last year and watching him win his first match at Indian Wells. I think he was ranked 86 when he was here last year. Ended up losing to Berrettini. He's just come such a long way so fast, and it all makes sense because he has all the tools and he has all the desire. Mm-hmm. No, it's really well said. And look, he's a guy who's played so many matches as a teenager. You look even since the start of this pandemic era, August 2020, Runa's played 225 matches over that stretch <laughs> of time. He's 155 and 70 overall. Now, he went 44 and 13 during his time on the Challenger Tour. That's ridiculous, Like, and it's why he is where he is right now already. Obviously, you look at what he was able to do last year to not just win Paris, but you know, finals of Sofia, wins the title in Stockholm, loses in the final of Basel to obviously a very much informed Felix, then goes on to win Paris. That's a ridiculous month stretch for the teenager, the sort of stretch you have when you are one of those generational talents. And, you know, having watched Holger from the beginning – It's so amazing that he's already turned his weakness into a strength. You know, early on, he was very tentative on the forehand wing, very tentative on the serve, and now he goes after those balls. And, you know, he's capable of playing first strike tennis, along with the fact, as you've mentioned, he is a fluid athlete. He's plenty comfortable in and out of the corners. I think the backhand's special, like his ability to absorb redirect pace on that wing. It's a very advantageous draw as well. Now, I think... If he played Mackie McDonald in round two, I think that one's tricky. Mackie's played well of late. It's a 
California kid in California. You always like the chance for magic there. And we've seen UCLA Bruins make magic yeah. recently. Look back at the Marcos Giron run uh, from a couple of years ago. If he can get through that, though, then his quarter of the draw really does begin to open up. Here's the, my response to you, because one of the guys on my list, who I'll just throw in here now, um, who I think is my most interesting men's player entering the draw, is a guy I would throw right up there with Carlos Alcaraz and Holger Runa. And it's not just to be lazy and say, well, it's got to be a big three moving forward. I genuinely think these three have separated themselves from their peers. And that would be Yannick Sinner. Would you include Yannick Sinner in that Runa Alcaraz conversation, Chris? Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. These I are just, guys are th- no, these guys ahead. are like these these they're like these players that are forming, and the the vision of them being like a these top three tier talents that separate themselves from everybody else is still crystallizing in our minds. But I think we can all see it when they have their high moments. The question is, how do they develop? Can they create those high moments on a consistent basis to be top five player, maybe even a number one? But absolutely, Yannick Sinner, one of the most intriguing talents in men's tennis right now. Mm -hmm. And I just think Sinner hasn't had that Runa-type moment. That outright Alcaraz has his Miami title and and the U.S. I can't believe I said Miami before the (laughs) U.S. Open. Sorry. I know he's got the U.S. Open title too. Runa's got Paris. Um Sinner's really good everywhere. And like the fact that Sinner's 13 in the world right now is a joke because last year only two players made the second week of every slam. It was Rafael Nadal and Yannick Sinner. If Sinner got Wimbledon points for his quarterfinals, he would have been a top 10 player in the world. He would have been in the year-end finals conversation where I thought he belonged last year. Of course, our dear friend Jeff Sackman at Tennis Abstract, his ELO ratings have Sinner as the fourth best player in the world right now behind Djokovic, Medvedev, and Tsitsipas. And I've always been inclined to believe that because you look again, you know I like my clubs, Chris. Who are the players who rank top 10, 15, 20, 25 in both hold and break percentage? Right now, only two men rank top 10 in both. It's who you'd expect, Djokovic and Medvedev. None rank top 15 in both. Three rank top 20 in both. You have Marin Cilic, who his last 52 weeks, he's either been injured or making the semifinals of the French Open. So that makes sense. Um, Mm -hmm. Carlos Alcaraz, who I don't know if you know this, Chris, he won the U.S. Open last year. I had forgotten it, but I just, I to just make heard sure you, yeah, yeah, you just heard. That's good. Um, and then the fifth guy is Yannick Sinner. And like when I watch Yannick Sinner play, if you aren't elite, if you don't have a weapon to hit him off his spot, he's going to dust you. And you look for him over his last 52 weeks, 43-7 and seven against players ranked outside the top 20, 35-3 and three against opponents ranked outside the top 50. Now, he's 5-10 and 10 against top 20 opponents. There are a lot of tight losses, five sets where he has match point against the aforementioned Alcaraz at the U.S. Open, five sets against Tsitsipas in Australia this year, five sets against Djokovic at Wimbledon last year. He doesn't have that slam semifinal, slam final yet. He doesn't have that Masters 1000 title yet, though he did make the final losing to Hurkacz in Miami in 2021. But he has everything else. And I'm just like, I'm so certain that we're going to get that Yannick Sinner month. Why can't it be this month something like something special between Indian Wells and Miami, Chris? Yeah. No, it certainly can. It's just a matter of time, I think. You know, he, you know, he, I get the impression that he's developing in a lot of ways, and that he's probably absorbing a lot of 
content, shall we say, from Darren Cahill, sure. maybe making subtle adjustments to his game, focusing on things that he isn't completely comfortable with. It's, it's funny how we watch players and we we wonder, well, why did he perform that way on this specific day? There's a lot going on in the development of a young tennis player. That's why even with Holger Runo, you know, I'm talking about him like he's, you know, God's gift to tennis. Yeah, <laughs> I think he has a 28 and 33 career record outdoors in, in his career so far. So, I mean, there's still a lot of room to go and there's still a lot of un, un, uncharted territory and things to prove. But I mean, yeah, I mean, that's what we're waiting for, right? The center explosion. I think anybody who's watched what he's done against Carlos Alcaraz has been like, oh, my God. Mm -hmm. Oh, my God. You know, some of the greatest moments of tennis that I've seen in the last 52 weeks have been provided by him. Top three rivalry. Yeah, I'm talking stretches, maybe a set here, Mm -hmm. maybe maybe a match there. So if it happens consistently, it's just going to be it's going to be a beautiful thing. Yeah, really well said. To go back to the Fritz word you used, reliable, other than his health. Yannick Sinner is just so reliable. Like, he's not hitting himself out of a match. That's not going to happen. He has gotten faster, although, boy, like, again, he's just so bony. Like, I'm always afraid his knee, when he slides, I'm like, please stay in the socket. Please stay in the socket. Because you're just like, I don't know if that, those tendons are secure. Um, but it's also like, here's the last thing, because I, I floated this theory when I was recording a pod Han Solo, but now I have Chewbacca by my side, so I need to ask you this. And with the beard, let me tell you, it's a good beard, Chris. Um, but all of that said... Like, when I watch Sinner, Alcaraz, even Runa with the cramp struggle, I don't think we frame it, their struggles properly. Because you and I are old enough to remember back in 2010, mm-hmm. 11, or not 11, but 2010, 2009, when the question for Novak Djokovic was, well, is he going to get over the cramps? Is he going to get his fitness right? Because he seems to always be flaming out in the later stages of these matches. And then in 2011, as a 23, 24-year-old, he showed up as maybe the greatest physical presence we've ever seen in men's tennis. And it's like, hey, Sinner's 21. Alcaraz and Runa are 19. Like, they're still two and four years away, respectively, from that Djokovic 2011 spot. Like, I just think we never frame it like that. I know. I know. I agree. I mean, there's so much to learn on the circuit (laughs) as a top pro. You can have this blistering game and, and these, you know, these like mind jaw dropping strokes, but there is so much to learn about the battles you're going to face, the stresses you're going to face. What's important to focus on before you play a match? Recovery, how you behave the night before, how you're hydrating, all these little things show up in the, in the end result. And these guys are learning this right now. It's not always pretty, but they'll, they'll figure it out. And, and yeah, you, it's funny when you, you know, Twitter is the worst place to watch comments as a guy is cramping during a match, but you're like, oh, he'll never be anything. He cramps every time he plays Jack Draper, the same thing. Yeah. He gets a lot of guff for that. I think most of these guys are going to gonna mature and figure it out. They're probably up up at night playing video games and like, you know, drinking, <laughs> drinking Coca-Cola and eating Cheetos and stuff. Believe it or not, it's probably true. And they won't be doing that in a few years. No, I feel like... Sinner's more of a charcuterie board sort of guy, like if we're being yeah. honest, as opposed to Cheetos. But I see, yeah, I agree with you there more broadly. Like, oh, there's no way Holgaruna can't rip his way through like a bag of Reese's Pieces <laughs> or like like the the Reese's or what are the you know the mini Reese's where it's still like the mini cups. What are those called? Oh my oh, god, man. 
But like the Old bag bags. of those. Yeah, exactly. Where he's just like, come on, I'm eating handfuls. Um, yeah, yeah I, no, completely agree with you there. I think those are the most interesting like groups to watch on the men's side because, again, it's fascinating. We've already moved on to Next Gen 2.0, although when we get to more interesting men in a moment, I do think mm. that second tier of Next Gen players on the men's side is most interesting. But I know you've got some obligations on site, so I want to move to the women's side quickly. We sort of had this conversation at the start is Sabalenka your most interesting women's player in the draw? I mean, there's a, there's a lot of players I'm excited to watch. Okay. But, yeah, she comes to mind. I, I want to see that follow-through. I think that's the big storyline that I'm looking for this year. She's got 20 points to defend in these two 1,000 um, events. Iga's got 2,000. If she's talking about truly trying to make a push for number one, I know she's kind of – psychologically probably creating a goal that's far enough off that it doesn't have to pressure her, but it's also a, a nice quest. I mean, I'm not sure if she seriously believes she can become number one, but if she's serious about it, here's an opportunity because Ika can't gain a single point and she can gain, uh, my math could, tells me 1,960 <laughs> points. Yeah, no, very um, well. Yeah, well said. So, But but um, you mentioned these tiers, this, this top eight, top ten, of women's tennis players that are sort of becoming a little more consistent. And that doesn't mean that there isn't the same amazing depth on tour. It just means that these players are a little bit more mature, a little bit more experienced and are able to do this on a more consistent level, which is such a cool thing, right? It doesn't take away the depth out of the equation because it's still there from top to bottom. And I, I have a player who's sort of on the fringe of those two, two areas, Rybakina, who we all know should be ranked higher but who's a player I think could become a top five force in the game based on what we saw in Australia and what we saw at Wimbledon. And I'm really excited to, to watch her more and see how she's developing over the, you know, over the weeks and months. And I think there's a chance that she could become a real legitimate top force up there in that top five. Yeah. Well, I think there are two players. I always include them in Serena Williams power tennis country club, where it's just like, they'll take the racket <laughs> out of your hands. That's what they do. And you know, it's so fascinating. Sabalenka. So now we're, we've removed the last two months. And by the way, this is a stupid thing. But just so you know, Chris, and our listeners know, on Tennis Abstract, they have the stats leaderboard, right? And you can adjust the time frame of the stats you're looking for. You can do last 52 weeks. You can do specific season. After the sunshine swing is when I switch from last 52 weeks to only 2023 results. I'm like, okay, the sample size is now officially big enough. Um, mm. So I'm really excited for that. Like after this month, that's something. It's, it's a nerdy thing I'm looking forward to. <laughs> but obviously, I follow the stat leaderboard closely. You know, Sabalenka over the first two months has had 45 double faults drop off of her resume from last year. So it's just like she's went from. I think it was like 435 double faults at her peak over the last 52 weeks to she's now at like 388, which is still number one. But like now you're within 100 of the next closest person, which for her is like big progress. And the crazy part is it's taken her hold percentage from 28th amongst top 50 players to 15th amongst top 50 players it's like see how much easier life can be if you just make the serve arena like it's just it's crazy it's 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 really just one of those statistical things you notice if you geek out like i do um yeah, yeah the key is no layup right it's just like she has been chasing this dream in particular win the slam title be the number one player now she's gotten a taste of it and it's just like how will she respond to that she looked really good against 
Krejcikova, the first set she won at 6-1. She's blitzing through. She looked amazing until she didn't. And it's just like, that's not a bad loss. But how is she going to bounce back? I think it's going to be interesting to see. And, like, is, are we going to see the player who was blitzing people 2-2? Two and two, Or are we going to see the 2022 version who's, like, 6-3 in the third after being a set and 4-1 down? Like, you're right. I, I think that is absolutely fascinating. I think she has to be on the list. I think you talked about Rabakina on the precipice of the two tiers just to put the final bow on the Krejcikova conversation because she was number one on my list. Mm-hmm. If Krejcikova makes like a semifinal or a final this week, doesn't she have to be tier one moving forward? Like, And her skill set, she has the size to kind of absorb the pace. She appreciates it. She redirects it with her technique so well. You see the double success translate onto the singles court in the sense that she just is so good on the return of serve. The length of her return, just she gets points back to neutral at a minimum. She has weapons as well. She's probably the best. Not probably. She's the best volleyer in the WT on the WTA tour. Like she has the most complete game, and she matches up well with Iga, which is like one of four people you can say that about. Yeah, I mean. Yeah, blueprint for success, right? Now, she has such an, such an intelligent style of tennis. I really enjoy watching her. And, a, and if, I, I feel like she's it's been a process for her, obviously. She's a late bloomer. But I think, A, getting there in the first place to what she, what she did in 2021, which she was relatively new to the Grand Slam game and won Roland Garros. That was magical. And B, dipping like she has with the injuries, which can cause major doubt. And, and responding again, I think she's going to be like a pillar of belief going forward. So that mental part of the equation, which, of course, is a huge part of any tennis player's you know, rapport or makeup or whatever, is going to be fine. So now the tennis takes over and I think stay healthy. I think she's going to be there for, for a few years to come, be a top talent and, and have a chance to win slams. Yeah. And you mentioned matching up with Iga. That's how do you do that? Mm-hmm. No, it's. I mean, she just has that unique ability, right, to take the ball early on the rise, drive through it, reabsorb and redirect your pace. She can also take time away with her movement forward. I mean, it's... Frustrates a lot of players. Yeah, and she's a multi-time slam champion. And like I always say, it helps to be the best in the world. You just have a confidence if you're the best in the world at something that other people don't. And she's number one in the world at doubles. Like, she's a Hall of Famer on her doubles career alone. And she's been number two in the world in singles, and she has a slam title. So it's just like, she, and she's a tennis nerd. She's like, she's ready for those moments. And so, yeah. again, I, I'm really looking forward to seeing her healthy and back at the top of the women's game where I think she belongs. All right, let's rapid fire through some names here at the end. Let's just start with the women's yeah. name. We'll go, oh. we'll go, we'll go name for name. Give me a name and a take. Oh, I'm dying to see Alicia Parks. She's really come on. I, I watched her in qualies at Wimbledon last year because there was hype. She had a 128 mile per hour serve at the U.S. Open, I think, in 2020 or 19. I forget when, but everybody was talking. You know, that was like a, a full on news article. Like mm-hmm. she just tied Venus Williams to the fastest. You're like, who is this girl? So I went and watched her at qualies last year. It was about me and like seven other people. It was a horrible match. She just was. She was just out of it. She just didn't play well at all, and I didn't. She didn't serve well, and I was kind of like, okay, I, I need to see her again because this was really an unimpressive performance. And I left thinking, I didn't really have her on my radar for a little while, and then she obviously just fought her way back up there and has put up such good results. I think won sixteen of her last twenty. I mean, just playing great tennis and serving lights out. She's, I think. If you're talking year to date, she's like sixth 
ranks six in service games holds to 81.4%. Obviously, has a ridiculous serve. Averages more um, aces per game. I saw a stout on Opta like, than any other player on tour. So I definitely want to see what she's bringing and how her the rest of her game has come along to kind of keep pace with that serve and make her a threat, a consistent threat. It looks like she's got a pretty bright future. So shows you what watching just one quality match of a player and making an opinion on them can do to you. Yeah, very well said. A lot of her success of late has come indoors. Slow outdoor hardcore at Indian Wells is going to be fascinating to see how her game translates. I would go... They're in the same category to me because I think they're the same sort of athlete, the same sort of dynamic. Now, Marta Kostyuk's been more consistent than Bianca Andreescu of late, but like... Those, to me, are still two Tier 1 talents that I look at. And Andreescu's still, like, 23 years old. Kostyuk's, what, 20? Um, yeah. Just coming off of her first title run as well. They're both those just elite athletes who have elite quick twitch who can also do a little bit of everything. And yeah. I don't know what the best version of them is going to look like yet. But I – oh, I guess we sort of do a little bit with Andreescu. We saw some shades of it. Although, still, like, you feel like she could be better than her 19-year-old self. Um I'd even throw Chin Wen in there. That's probably the third tier one talent of like all three of those players who have just kind of been lingering. Obviously, Kostyuk's kind of risen and put herself back in that caliber. Those are three wild cards where I say, all right, I'm ready to invite you to the dance floor, but you've got to earn that invitation a little bit more. Like you have all the criteria we're looking for, but you're not there yeah. yet. Yeah. I, I mean, Chin Wen has less time has had less time to prove herself. I think she's kind of a lock. You sure. know, she's not going to be playing at Indian Wells due to injury. And so injuries have been like nipped her a little bit in her progress, yeah. a little bit in the bud of late. But I think she's still really new to the game, has only a couple slams under her belt and is growing rapidly. The other two are just ridiculous talents. I mean, we know Bianca. I mean, mind blowing. I think, yeah, this event. <laughs> you sort of like hit on it. Like something isn't clicking like, in terms of her approach or the way she needs to play, there's just something, but you feel like it's in her and gosh, we're all rooting for it to come out because she played some of the most beautiful breathtaking tennis that anybody has played in the last five years when she was on in 2019. And she does it in, in stretches here and there has done it since she's still a great fighter. She still wants to be good. And I think that it'll happen. It'll just take some time. And then Kostyuk has been a little bit of a mystery breakout player at the age of 15, third round of the Australian Open. So talented, so good striker of the ball, great athlete. I think just needs to figure out her style of winning tennis that maybe she has to win consistently what she needs to do. And I think she's still very much a work in progress in that regard. But obviously winning a first title, never a bad thing, right? Mm-hmm. No, fair. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, again, the tier below that, the original next-gen WTRs, Mukova, Bedosa, Sakari. I want to see if any of them can make a move as well. But let's switch to the men's side again. Last question for you. We'll rapid fire here. I'll just throw yeah. a name. You tell me if it's interesting or You're not. You're going to throw the name I was going to throw, just, oh. so, just so you know. Of you course think you so, are. You, you think I am? Yeah. Well, I'm going to go with the Nori Hercots tier because those are the two to me where it's like – uh, that's where I where I think like okay first of all Cam Norrie won this event two years ago Cam Norrie yes he was injured but just beat Carlos Alcaraz on clay and made back to back finals in South America Cam Norrie's been top ten for like two and a half years now or top twelve as has Hercots and it's like are you guys tier two like what I don't know what to do with them like and in an, in a big three list draw 
We've seen Nori and Hercots can go beat a Medvedev. They can go beat a Sinner. They can go beat an Alcaraz. Like, why can't those two go win this event? I think, like, and again, like, is there that big of a gap between them and Kasparud? I don't know. No, they're not. Kim Nori. Kim Nori's a beast. He's he's amazing. He leaves no stone unturned. He plays intelligent tennis. He executes his game plan. Like, he's such a smart, Uh solid player. I absolutely love him. What's his? I mean, can guys knock him off the court? Like, you know, are there guys that are more exceptionally talented than he is? Yeah, of course. But he's gonna he's gonna be a fixture in the top ten. And and like I said at the beginning of the show, these guys that are always in the round of sixteen quarters, they give themselves chances. Mm-hmm. Draw Blake's a little bit. Guys a little injured on that given day, like like a Sunday in Rio. Boom, raise a trophy. That's gonna happen with him. And Hubie is a little bit more mysterious. He is yeah. so beautiful what he's on. It's it's yeah. like almost untouchable. And I feel like if he can do that for seven matches that a slammer six here, he'll win the title. I won't be surprised at all. Mm-hmm. Um, he's I've on had, that plane physically as well. He is like for 6'6", six, six, guy is a freak in Hercots. Like he moved like – we saw it against Djokovic. He moved really well. Yeah, no, he, he's an amazing talent. And I don't know. He, he seems – he. I, to me personally, I think he comes out flat a little bit here and there, just like performances that aren't up to the level that, you know, he's capable of. And I think that's true of every single player. Maybe with him, you know his, what he's capable of because you get to see it at times and you're thinking, how come he can't hit those high notes in every single match? And it's just not easy to do, but I just I love his game. I love his personality. I love everything about him. And I think, you know, time the time will come where he's, I think going to have maybe even a slam breakthrough and he could potentially win a slam. Maybe I would say if this is a question, her catcher Nori more likely to win a slam. I'd probably go Hubie. Yeah. Hubie at Wimbledon just because he has the serve. It's the big weapon that, you know, again, can make his life easy and the game style. But all right, then last name belongs to you. Who were you going to say? Well, you know, I got to say, whoa. Oh, that's such a good call. I mean, that kid in Dallas, was that was a magical dreamy week where he showed me so much i wasn't that familiar with the style of tennis he plays he's got everything and he, you know you think he's maybe this little like diminutive sort of guy who's like got great foot speed and is a great athlete but man he can pop the serve he can go for broke and the i guess the biggest thing that impressed me about that title run was his ability to to compartmentalize and handle the pressure that he faced Facing John Isner on an indoor court, young guy who hasn't had that much experience in an ATP, any experience in an ATP title match, and who just lost the week before in a challenger final. To come through like that on that stage, facing everything he faced, showed me he has an incredible amount of moxie and self-belief. And I just want to see more of that. And I just think he has a beautiful game and, and a lot of upside. I don't know, really. It's a mystery how it's going to play out, but I'm really looking forward to, to seeing him. And the other name is Lehechka, who's been awesome this year. And, and he's got a pure game, you know, maybe in the vein of Thomas Berdich, where he's got so much power. I think I'm, you probably know of these stats also where it said he he's like hitting the one of the hardest balls on tour, top three right now for this season. He just hits a really pure ball, plays an intelligent game. You see him up at net closing points a lot. I like his style. I like his personality. So that's a new guy that I'm looking for as well. But I mean, we can go on with this list, but those two definitely are guys I'm psyched to see. Definitely want to check them out. First chance I get this week. And again, to come full circle, it's a pecking order sort of match who uh, or sort of event who matters, who doesn't, 
Who's going to step up with the opportunity? lachetchka has been one of those guys this year. You're absolutely right. I'm excited, Chris. And maybe more than anything else, I'm excited for your writing, which, again, all of our <laughs> listeners, all of tennis fans can find on bnpparibas.com. Um, yeah, Chris Otto, it is always a pleasure to have the opportunity to speak with you, my friend. Be safe. Be healthy. Enjoy your time out at Indian Wells in tennis paradise, right? That's uh, what they call it, and it's, yes. true. it's true. And I always appreciate getting the chance to chat with you, my friend. I will talk with you more soon. Same here, Alex. Thanks a lot, man. Hope all of you enjoyed my conversation with the one and only Chris Otto. A massive thank you to Chris for taking the time to chat. I know how busy he is with his preparations for this 2023 Indian Wells. And yet he takes the time to speak with us just about whenever I ask. I'm immensely grateful for that fact. Such a fan of his work. So please be sure to read everything Chris writes for the Indian Wells website throughout the course of the next two weeks. And let him know your support for his work as well. I know he always appreciates hearing from the fans. But again, with all that said, we have plenty more content coming for all of you tennis fans over on the Mini Break podcast feed. I'll have conversations with David Kane, Gil Gross, talking about the American men and the contenders. We'll have a women's contenders a podcast coming up here on this GSP feed tomorrow as well. Plenty of college content coverage also, as of course we have our deciding points where we recap all the Division One college tennis action. We've got broadcast Thursday, Friday, Sunday, on ESPN Plus with the ACC SEC Networks. Of course, a shout out to the Big Ten, uh, who we cover on Sunday on our Crack Rackets YouTube channel as well. The point is, folks, it's go time in the 2023 tennis world. You don't want to miss out on any of the action. Be sure to like, rate, subscribe, review to this show, the Mini Break Podcast Feed, Cracked Interviews Podcast Feed, our Cracked Rackets YouTube channel, and all of our various Cracked Rackets platforms to ensure you don't miss anything. Of course, a shout-out, as always, to our super producer, Daniel Westoff, for the of editing job he does day in, day out, making all of this content possible. With all of that said, for the fantastic Chris Otto, our super producer, Daniel Westoff, our friends at Tennis Point from all of us here at both Crack Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. You know what we say. Hey, great shot, and we will see you all next time. Thanks, everyone. Thank you.